The Tea Talk, a podcast by Schwules Museum Berlin, hosted by Sunny Est. Hi everyone and welcome to the October edition of The Tea Talk, a Schwules Museum podcast moderated by me. I am Sunny Est, your host, and tonight I have Julius Thiessen with me. Why Do you want to introduce yourself or do you want me to introduce you? Oh, it's fun to hear what you have to say. That's always a... <laughs> uh, well, I know that you're a curator, visual artist, uh, and also an inclusivity and awareness um, speaker, mm-hmm. advocate, agent, if you want to elaborate more on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it up quite well. Um, yeah, my main focus uh, has always been my own visual practice, um, wh- which nowadays is mostly uh, photography work. Um, but I started out as a performance artist, so everything that I do is quite influenced by that. And coming from that, um, yeah, having experience as a, as a trans artist in the Dutch cultural sector, um, yeah, it really sparked a need for me to talk about my experience and also fellow trans folks' experiences uh, with the institutions. And yeah, from that, I started doing artistic research. Um, also, one of the reasons why we met, because we met in Van Abbe Museum during a symposium where you performed. Um, and yeah, from those experiences, I coach uh, yeah, institutions on their inclusion and diversity tactics and policies. And yeah, I think that's a, a bit in a nutshell. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also good to have the context and yes i met you like as a curator there like mm-hmm. you were you curated the symposium but there was also like a short residency that was realized before that where you also curated the artists that participated in that as well yeah yeah um yeah and i mean i was invited by one of the artists that you curated so just to clarify here for the audience <laughs> miss mavi mavi veloso <laughs> yes she's the sister that got me involved in that and that's through her that i participated in that yes really cute it was a really nice experience um and it's also very inspiring to know like what you made out of that because oftentimes a lot of us like trans folks whenever we deal with any institution mm-hmm. in whichever form there is so much educational work that we do that is not paid and it's also not recognized as such. Mm -hmm. So it's already really good to have like, yeah, I I feel like what you do is really inspiring also for other trans folks to, you know, also realize what they are doing and that they deserve to be paid for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, Fair pay is a very big uh, topic for me. I think that's really, uh, yeah. Important. Yeah. But we can also get into that later. Exactly. Course. Yeah. So after this uh, short, uh, complex introduction, um, I would like to pose you, yeah, the only first prepared question that I have for this podcast and who knows what's going to happen after that. Mm-hmm. What is the tea? The tea is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The tea you serve me is amazing. I'm yeah. really like it. No, I've been enjoying my weekend here in Berlin, visited to, for the first time ever since the corona crisis happened, I haven't gotten out of the Netherlands at all. Um, so it's really nice to be out here and to also see some yeah, new artistic works and 
good old dear friends. Um, so I've been mainly uh, wrapped up in that. And uh, yeah, that's the most tea right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You were at this, uh, you were telling me before you were at this uh, performance at Cave. Yeah. Contemporary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a performance by Michelle Rizzo, and, uh, or Rizzo, I don't know how to pronounce their names, uh, curated by a dear friend, and um, yeah, it was amazing, it was amazing to be here, and also to get the invite, of course, to come to you to talk about yes. everything, yeah. Of course, um, yeah, thank you for accepting my invite, and also, just before you were telling me and showing me some images of your new work mm -hmm. um that <laughs> i would like to tell you tell us um a bit more about and mm. but that i uh, immediately felt like it resonated a lot also with my past two years like i, I considered the, the pandemic like the past two years yeah, <laughs> basically yeah, yeah. yeah because it's centered around mental health yeah would you like to elaborate a bit more on of that of course yes Yeah, it's um, it's a photo series um, that uh, is called A Gentle Decompression, um, which I have been working on for, yeah, I think even a bit more than two years, if I also take along the writing. And it was fun uh, to see the developments also with the corona crisis and the impact, I think, that it had on a lot of folks to be more aware about their mental health um, uh, state and issues and how to work on that. Um, but it was actually written before the pandemic started. My funding application was sent, I think, three <laughs> days before uh, like the state of emergency uh, got declared. Um, so yeah, it has been a project um, also with amazing collaborate, uh, collaborations with very dear friends. Um, and it's a 12-piece uh, photo series. And every two pictures, the most of the pictures come in pairs of two, um, relate to either a very personal uh, reflection on mental health, but some of them also deal with, for instance, the, the state of trans healthcare in the Netherlands, um, which is, I think, at an all-time low um yeah so it's uh yeah very different reflections upon the topic of mental health yeah to sum things up a bit yeah yeah like my mind is sparking right now with like different things you know like um yeah i i mean is it is it okay for you if i ask a bit uh, further about the 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 um the dutch Yeah, <laughs> the Dutch trans healthcare because like actually I just had an episode today that I also shared with you. Mm -hmm. um, like me myself, I do not like I I'm post op. Um, also, just for, <laughs> for the listeners, and I've had the vaginoplasty like ten years ago. Mm -hmm. Like it's gonna be ten years very soon, um, and I was recommended a, gyne a gynecologist after that that I had to see in Berlin because my my um, surgeon is based in Munich or was based in Munich when we did it 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, he couldn't see me throughout the whole healing process in Berlin. Yeah. So I was recommended this gynecologist and yeah, like it, it was, you know, it was very traumatizing, you know, like to, to, for me, like I also I'm a sensitive person, whatever, but I feel like everybody has the right to be, sensitive after going through such an invasive uh, medical process 
where you literally like lose so much blood and it's a new structure in your body that you know it's unknown to you and so mm -hmm. everything feels scary yeah. especially being examined when you're still you don't have a lot of practice you know what i mean so yeah it, i feel like it's it's my good right to want to have a sensible like also a sensitive aware and also educated person because It's not even, I cannot even go to any gynecologist because, first of all, I don't even know which ones would feel instructed enough yeah. to take me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, how is it from your perspective in the Netherlands? Yeah, of course, I have my very personal experiences with it. Uh, that and, you don't and... have to disclose, <laughs> just to make it very clear, it's not about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but just to touch to touch upon very briefly, um, I've had also an experiences uh, with, with complications after my top surgery. And at the time, I was at a hospital, Slotervaart, um, which was privatized some years ago. But the best surgeon, uh, Dr. Van Lune, uh, I love her, yay to Van Lune, um, is really one of the best in the Netherlands, um, top surgery considering. And that uh, hospital was already kind of on the ledge of bankruptcy. So shortly after my surgery, I also had a complication, um, which I will not go into the gory details with, but it was scary. And it really became apparent to me that if we have a trans-related issue with our body, or even just a very generic medical issue, um, the medicine world is not designed to take care of our bodies. It's not... Um, they are not capable of knowing how our bodies are yeah, designed, how it functions, how the influence on our bodies from using hormones, if we decide to do so, what that plays out. And yeah, so what you shared to me also resonated. It's, it's a very scary place to have very urgent uh, need for medical care, but not being able to get the right attendance to that. So I feel you. And um Yeah. And it actually hope. also reached over to mental health care. Yes, <laughs> like, definitely. Uh, it's so, I mean, yeah, in, in general, like healthcare is such a, a big topic, which also I don't want to be oblivious of the privileges, quote unquote, that we have here in Germany. Like, I yeah. feel like we have a quite good healthcare system mm -hmm. that is accessible to every citizen. Yeah. So then it's mm. hard to become a citizen, etc. Yeah, 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 or yeah, yeah. to have like whatever. Um... In Fort Europe. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this is another issue. But then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't want to be oblivious of that because I know that in other countries like the US, for example, it's a, it's a shit show. Yeah. Um, but um, no, of still... course, that's always this thing that we are privileged to have access to it to begin with. But I think that doesn't take away the fact that we have the right to also question and say like, hey, we need to be taken better care of. Because when I relate to uh, a bit more the over, yeah, from a bird eye view on the general state of things in the Netherlands, I don't really have a clear view of the German situation. But one of the biggest issues that we are facing now in the Netherlands is kind of the monopoly position that uh, one of the biggest healthcare uh, providers has, the VMC, um, which is quite centralized around their knowledge. 
but um, the waiting lists are excruciating long. I mean, it's taking lives. Let's let's be very honest. You were saying also before that medical health also um, plays a role also in our mental health. I think this waiting list issue is one of the biggest core issues that we are facing. Um, I think for you and me uh, and to other queer and trans listeners, um, I think for all of us, it's very apparent that once we take the step to reach out to a house arts, a GP, like, hey, we need this this, this care, um, the clock is running, you know? Time is running out. We need to see somebody. We need to have perspective. We need to have this, this dot on the horizon to get the care that we want and need. Um, but I don't have a really cl- clear view because I hear different experiences. But the waiting lists are close to two to three years, some of them even longer. If, for instance, people have specific neurodiversities, which make it harder for them to communicate their needs or they get extra like, um, yeah, gatekeeping also. Um, and then once everything starts, the system is kind of a one-size-fits-nobody. <laughs> um, there's a lot of time <laughs> that you have to see a psychologist. You have to, yeah, um, talk about, for instance, your sex life. You have to talk about your child wishes, but never from a place of autonomy, never from a place where they ask you like, hey, what is the care that you need and what are important topics for you to consider in that process? And once that starts, it's taking somewhere between a year, year and a half before you get to the point where you could get possible green light. And it's also just very binary. I remember... Um, being locked up in a room, having to do a personality test and having to draw a female and male body on a blank piece of paper to kind of check and to kind of gatekeep my visions of what is considered male or female. And that's also the point where I got really angry and said, like, this is such a binary shit show. I'm not going to partake in that, um, knowing that it also had a risk for me to have, like, further delays in my um, transition and for me to get the help that I need. Um, so yeah, those are some of the issues that we are definitely facing now. And there's also a lot of human rights organizations who already have sounded the alarm also on the, uh, state of things in the Netherlands. Um, also some alternative options that are out there. One of which was, uh, Stepworks and they, um, also, uh, yeah, went bank- bankrupt quite recently so there's another pool of people that were already waiting for some time or were were already starting their transitional uh, processes there who now are basically out on the street and don't know where they have to go um so yeah that's one of the topics that i uh, paid attention to in the a gentle decompression series also and it resulted in um yeah a work that really for me, it's a bit of an abstract work. Um, the title is uh, A Gate Too Closely Kept. And you basically see it, a stopwatch on a very cobalt blue background with uh, drops of blood on them. Uh, so it's, for me, a very subtle way to to really kind of reflect on that, um, on that time, the time that we don't have. Um, and also, we are not the agent who is holding the stopwatch, somebody else, uh, mostly cis white straight folks are holding that stopwatch in their hands and deciding if we get a green light, if we are trans enough. So that gatekeeping is very um, 
very present. And I mean, I had the privilege that when I was going there, identified as a as a binary trans person, which nowadays is shifting a little bit, I think, as gender uh, does. Um, but for non-binary folks, it's it's horrible to get the care that they need, because some of them, for instance, don't want to take the route that they think one should take leading up to, for instance, top surgery. Um, for trans masculine and gender queer folks who desire that, they demand that you also take uh, testosterone. Um, luckily now I hear some cases of people who didn't have to go through that, but five years back, they would doubt your transness or your queerness if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't want to partake in all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the issues that are really alarming, uh, right now in, in the Dutch context, um, that hopefully, um, also gain some political traction, um, more and more, um, but yeah, so that is where, what that specific photo is about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, everything that, like, I mean, for one thing, that's why I love <laughs> talking to badass trans folks, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, one, of my, one of my guests once told me that uh, she had been watching, you know, like the, my selection of guests, and she was like, hmm... It's interesting because, like, the one thing that all of your guests have in common is, like, how free they are. Mm -hmm. And I love that observation because it wasn't, it was never, like, a conscious choice. You know, I never had, like, a free omitter. And then I'm like, how free I think this person is. <laughs> but when I listen to you, it becomes very clear to me, like, I get, once again, you know, confirmed, like, because... Like, the amount of critical thinking and the amount of, like, being able to formulate what are our needs when they haven't really been fulfilled. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, like, how to identify something if it has never been offered to you. Yeah. Uh, so, for many, like, while you were talking about uh, healthcare in general and the waiting lists, etc. Like, it has something to do with something that happened to me today. Like, you know, as you know, like, I went to a place... I needed to talk to someone. I have a quite like, yeah, I have, I don't have time, you know, like to check what, like whatever I have to check. And it was supposedly a trans centrum and I, at center and I didn't even get to talk at the counter. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. was still sitting down and I needed yeah. a mask because I had forgotten my mask. So I asked for a mask. They asked me to wait, like not go to the cashier, to the counter. And then, you know, while I was being handed over uh, a mask in my hand and covering my mouth and nose, I was told that, yeah, it's actually full. Like, if you don't have an appointment, that's it. And we have an appointment in January if you want. And I'm like, yeah. This is urgent care that I need, you know? Yeah. yeah. And But, like, I wasn't asked, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't given the chance to speak. Uh, because the first time she asked me, I said, I will come to the counter. You know, like... And because it is complex, it's personal, it's private, it's private, it's sensitive matter. And I expect a trans center to know that it can be this way, you know? Yeah. So if somebody answers you with like, I'm not telling you what I need now, I'm telling you at the counter. Um, and she responds with, oh, but if you, so you have an appointment, right? And I'm like, mm, no. And then she's like, well, it's full. Then I just like turned around and left because I was so triggered I couldn't stay there and make you know I didn't want to I didn't feel safe or welcome to yeah. 
BMS there, you know? So yeah. I went to BMS on the streets. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, and then, so while you were speaking, I was a bit triggered as well. You know, I had to remember that moment, etc. Uh, it was going through my head. And... Um, Like, because I know the nature of your work, that it's, like, biographic, and also my, the nature of my work is biographic, but in very different, like, manifestations, mm-hmm. uh, I think you have, like, a wonderful... Also, I have to say this, like, the the, este- the sense of aesthetics uh, in your photo, like, everything, like, the entire direction, the colors, like, ev- like every little thing. Your style, also the how you make your body uh, into a piece of art, you know, like, on... It's just really, really, really good to look at. <laughs> you know, it's like beautiful. And it's, it's yeah, it's just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it has all the layers that it should have. But as a trans person myself and as an artist, blah, blah, blah. Like, I always think about this negotiation of how much I explore of my own trauma in something that, you know, like it's going to be... Like, that we see professionally, like, it's, it's, it's yeah. business in the end of the day, you know, like, how do you combine this? Because there is the artistic expression that comes from a very honest place, and we want their authenticity, and etc., etc., and yeah. this is what makes also people relate to the most, but personally speaking, like, how do you... I mean, it's a, it's a tricky question, because if it's something that you keep for yourself, I don't want you to feel exposed either, mm-hmm. but where is the line? Between the personal and, and, and the professional and how much of yourself you show, you mean? Or, or how you even put the trauma into the work also? Or or how do you handle, how do you navigate keeping your dignity, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how, how is that negotiate with yourself? Yeah. Well, for me, that's also what I try to research in my work, both in my artistic visual work, but also in my artistic research. So, for instance, the project that we were talking about before where we met, um, that for me is the central question, because we are living in times that we are becoming more visible. So that's one. But also we get commoditized and we get put on the yearly panel talk about a gender expression where we be uh, where we are pathologized and be made into to the the patients on the stage talking about getting asked questions about very personal parts of our body or our transition or our medical records. And that's exactly the issue that I have a lot of times with how folks relate to us in media, but also still in arts. So I kind of play around with that. Um, I I make it the central question uh, in some of the works. So for instance, next to the the work of the the clock that I was just talking about, um, there's this work um, that is called A Body Surveilled. And you see me in a white uh, double-breasted uh, organza suit, uh, which has been designed by Joris Suk and um, executed by Marluz Detswell. So that's also something that I should definitely say. My work is always in collaboration with amazing other artists who are very skilled at what they do. Um, and that is really about feeling spectated and having uh, an experience where... I feel that for me as a trans person, I lack a lot of bodily privacy that a cis folk would have. 
Like, it's very normal that I walk into a space, uh, somebody notices something about you, and boom, right out of the fucking door, <laughs> you get questions about your genitalia, you know, that you don't even want to fucking <sighs> talk about. Um, so I kind of play with the work and also if I organize residency projects or artistic research projects it's always about like how can we pay homage to that and how can we take back the agency over our own bodies experiences art expressions um, and also maybe lift the veil of productivity from that right because when we step into a place it's all always expected that we become productive from the moment we walk in <laughs> and that we transform this very colonial, white, uh, violent place into a very well intersectional function functioning body. <laughs> a community place. A community place, whilst the histories of those places are definitely uh, fucking 180 uh, from that a lot of times. And of course, there can be actors in the space who have very good intentions. And there are definitely institutions that do great work. But yeah, you know, you know. Good intentions is just like a, it's a ready joke. <laughs> the road to hell has been paved with good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, yeah, it's, um, I, w I would say that that's one of the central questions, I think, that I try to do with, with all the work that I'm doing. Um how to regain a sense of, of, of agency and how to reclaim. Um, so I think also Fair Pay, for instance, is a really good example about that. We were talking about two gigs that we both have been offered recently. And you said, oh, my God, this was amazing. The, the pay was great. It gave me room to breathe, you know. And I, I then talked to you about a similar experience that for actually just showing one work, I was offered uh, a really nice artist fee that I didn't have to negotiate and why because it also comes from organizers of marginalized backgrounds so we know we know when we work with each other like hey let's redistribute the 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 materiality that is there the money that is there because for us that's super important and even before it it goes into a sort of like redistribution and reparations aspect just like the the I don't even feel like I feel like sometimes they're offered so little that even the fair sounds to us like, oh, okay, this is reparations now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and sometimes yeah, yeah. just like, no, bitch, there has been like all this time cis white people <laughs> who got offered this amount of money yeah. to do maybe less work. We yeah. just like didn't know Be that. mediocre. <laughs> Very <laughs> mediocre. But no, I, do, I also do want to like stress and point out how I feel like a lot of trans folks have a lot to take away from your practice and because to me my whole like goal in life is to dignify the trans experience and yeah. so if i am active in the cultural sector also mostly as a performer different media but still a performer i feel like if we do so much work to transform every space that we get in it's because in the end of the day we want We want to have the dignified experience ourselves and for our peers who have similar identities as us mm. um, because we have been denied that historically. And so that I wanted to point out definitely that like, thanks, you know, like thanks for your work basically and thanks for sharing. Um, and unfortunately, we're already uh, reaching uh, or moving towards the end of, of this episode. So I would like to 
ask you as a final little question concerning these topics you were being you've been talking about. Um, we know, like we know, we sense and we experience that like the times are shifting. Mm-hmm. But to me, I still feel like that there, like I don't know where to. I don't know in which direction. I also don't know for how long. And one thing that you said, I also want to stress here or underline, which is uh, having other queer slash migrant slash POC slash you know like trans non-binary people in leading positions, like in decision yes. with decision power, is transformative. Not because they will create a bubble just for us and only be fair to us, but because I feel like they bring in different ethics mm-hmm. that, you know, are in itself at least at least critical to colonial Christian binary Eurocentric uh, structures. Yes. Um, but what are your what are your visions for the coming future? What do you see? What do you think it's gonna look like next year? 2022, yeah. post-pandemic world, trans-inclusive euro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think what you were saying is definitely also one of my goals and not in a way of um, simulating white colonial power, saying like, oh, we need to have the positions of power just to, to have reproduce them, the same to reproduce the same violent uh, uh, structures and and unsafe experiences for for other folks because let's be fair not all from our community are also uh, uh, good and, and create safety so let's put it out there um, that we should also keep an eye on each other and keep each other safe and say like if somebody is being a predator is being problematic call the bitches out um, and people need to also sorry to but like people need to be open for criticism because I feel like a lot of people who are doing BPOC stuff they think that they're immaculate like no bitch you make mistakes and if you're unable to be called out you're just toxic you're just becoming an a, yes another sort of like gatekeeper mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah I hope that these positions um, that we can pave the way to to create those positions to have a more yeah intersectional perspective on all those things and and what is even power and how do we redistribute it um and also like you i don't know exactly where we are going but i have the feeling that we see each other now so we have this um yeah i I, we are in the sewers together under all these institutes and we are crawling out of the toilets out of the you know um coming out of the tap when you open up the tap we are flowing into the space um and and that is what i feel more and more in this day and age that on a bit of an international level we know each other and we know what we're doing when one has a shitty experience the other says like oh uh, i'll pick you up you know and i think that is the most important space for me to 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 stay in and also to to be in with other folks is that together aspect and not this whole token community i think community is a very hard um um word to use because what is community like it also signals this uniform experience whilst that doesn't pay attention to the different needs uh, of folks and different marginalized backgrounds that overlap that are intersectional but yeah to be together and to to lift each other up and to always not move in this egocentric place um of just uplifting ourselves but doing this you know like pulling people also with you in that space and 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 also sharing the bag 
the money back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very that. So I guess that's the tea. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. Like, I am so happy that Thank I invited you. Thank you for having you. me. Yes, yeah. this was a brilliant talk. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. All right. Now let's go have dinner. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Tea Talk. Bye. The Tea Talk. A podcast by Schwules Museum Berlin. Hosted by Sunny Est.